If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel. So for today's episode, we're going to go into a passage that will be a little bit of new territory for me to explore. I've never done a podcast on this topic on either my old podcast or this one. And so what prompted this was I was on the Black Flag podcast with Sam Whiplinger and like eight other people because Sam's show is the bad form of anarchy where there's no rules and it's just a uh, complete chaotic mess. But he invited me on his show a few weeks back. I went in not having any expectations. I didn't know if we were going to dive into any serious topics or not. But what ended up happening was I had a conversation with this ordained minister whose name was Brandon. And basically, we had kind of a back and forth conversation about what I talk about here on this show, about biblical anarchy. And he was someone who seemed open-minded, like he's looked into libertarian theory and the ideas of anarchy before. And so he came with some questions and thoughtful objections or critiques. And we had a really good back and forth, found that there's a lot we agree on. So that was a really good episode, despite how chaotic and long it was. And I will link to that in the show notes if you want to go and watch that and check out Sam's Black Flag podcast. So we went into the typical passages, right? Like I knew Romans 13 was going to come up. We went into render unto Caesar. We had objections that are somewhat typical when we're discussing these ideas. But the one I was least prepared for, I wouldn't say I was totally unprepared, but it's not one that I'm as versed in talking about, was when Brandon brought up First Peter chapter 2. And I've read this passage before, but I've never done a deep dive on it just because it's not as commonly cited as Romans 13. And so I realized, you know what? This is part of what I need to be doing. I need to be taking on different passages. I need to not be just going with the ones that I'm comfortable with. I need to, as I talk about in my intro, you know, we need to go into the Bible and explore what the Bible teaches us about human authority and governance and all these things. And we believe that all of the Bible is wholly inspired scripture that's good for teaching and correction and for preparing us for every good work, as it says in First Timothy. And so we're going to dive into that passage today. And because I don't like taking things out of context, we're going to read the entire chapter. It's not too long. And I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Version. So the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. All right. So... Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice 
and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by the people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him shall never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you will silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters, for with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of the consciousness of God, someone endures grief for suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do good, when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the ones who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Well, amen and praise God to that. I could almost just, that's the podcast right there, right? <laughs> I just feel like the passage is almost self 
explanatory, self-evident, such an amazing chapter. And I wanted to just read it from start to finish because I feel like that was an important way to start this out. So there are sort of different sections to this entire chapter, right? There is like the first section that talks about Jesus as the cornerstone that we either accept as our savior or he's the stone that we reject and becomes a stumbling block because of our disobedience. And that we have been chosen, we as those who are inheritors in Christ, who have been chosen, who have received salvation, we are now the new chosen nation. We are the royal priesthood and we are to live in that inheritance. We have received mercy and we are to now live as God's people. That's like the first section there. It's that we are a holy people and a living stone. And then there's this call to do good. You know, so we're a holy people. So it's like, what does that mean? What do we do out in the world if we are to live as holy people? So we go into this and it says, dear friends, says, I urge you to abstain from sin because sin is like wages war against our soul and that we are to conduct ourselves honorably among men. And that includes when they slander us, that we are to do good even then. So this is very much echoing what we read in Romans 12, what we read in the Sermon on the Mount. And really this message is echoed many different times in the New Testament. And there's even teachings in the Old Testament about this as well, that when you do good to those who persecute you, it's like keeping burning coals on their head. And that it is through doing good to those who persecute us that we overcome evil. So here in this passage, it says that it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. And it's very important where that line comes in. So like when this passage was brought up in the conversation I had on the Black Flag podcast, and when this passage is commonly cited when we're having a conversation about libertarianism or anarchism or government, they'll take that one verse where it says, verse 13, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Right? So that's that thing. It says honor. In other translations, this comes across as honor the emperor is what it says. And so the question becomes, well, you know, in Romans 13, we're called to submit to governing authorities, but is honoring the emperor an even greater commandment? Like, is it even stronger language there that we're being told to not only submit to every human authority, but to honor the emperor? Well, again, I think the question becomes, what does honor mean? And there's different types of honor. And it says right there in verse 17, we're to honor everyone. But I think honoring someone looks different depending on who the person is. I mean, let's just think about this critically a little bit. The way that you honor your father and your mother are probably going to be, I mean, there's going to be some overlaps, obviously, but there's going to be also things that make the honor you show your parents distinct from the honor you would show a stranger or distinct from the honor you would show different members of your family. 
different than the honor you would show your spouse. Let's say you are married with kids and you're in a situation. I mean, anyone who's been married long enough can probably not even have to think about this hypothetically. Think about a time where you were in the middle of what your spouse wanted and what one of your parents wanted. It's a tricky balance. You go from, the Bible says that you leave your father and mother and you cling to your spouse. But then when you get into a conflict, you go from living a large portion of your life listening to what your parents say to probably unless your spouse is asking for something particularly like whether it's like sinful or immoral or particularly harmful, you're going to submit to what your wife wants more than what your parents want. But is that dishonoring to your parents? Because I think we have to make a clear distinction here. Honor is not the same as obedience. We still don't have anywhere in this passage where we're told to show obedience to the governing authorities or to human authorities. It's a submission to, but why do we submit? Well, I think the explanation is there right after verse 13 and 14, but it's also there in the context of the entire passage. Remember, the passage starts out by talking about how we're a living stone and a holy people. And so then we're asked, well, how are we supposed to act in this world when people do harm or evil towards us? And that's how this kind of like second portion of this passage starts. It says to conduct yourself honorably so that when they, this is verse 12, when they slander you, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits. And it's then in all of this context leading up that it says to submit to human authority. It's very similar, you know, remember when we're reading Romans 13, we have to read it in light of Romans 12. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we have to read this part of the passage with what comes before it immediately, and also what comes after it. Because not only does it say submit to the governing authorities and the emperor, but then we have, this is one of the passages that atheists like to point to, a teaching for slaves to submit to their masters. Well, hold on. Are we now saying that the Bible condones slavery or that would the Bible would say slavery is morally normative? For sure, there are some fringe Christians who might still try to make that argument. But I think everyone within most Orthodox Christendom would agree that passages in the Bible relating to slavery fall into one of two categories. You have some passages that are restraining the already universal institution of slavery to make the institution of slavery within ancient Israel or within the Christian communities if they hold slaves or if the Christians themselves are slaves to make it more humane and to make it more distinct from the practices of slavery by different cultures and nations. And then there is the other type which would be where we have something like in this passage where it says, if you are a slave, submit to your master. Even says in here, not only to the good ones, but to the cruel ones. Now, we have examples of this, right? I mean, think of Joseph when he was enslaved. He did good in his position. He submitted to and served his master as well. And because of that, well, God was good to him. He was sort of like given favor by his master. Then, of course, he wasn't jailed. He was wrongfully accused. But then still in the long run, 
he was rewarded for in every situation that he was put in, even no matter how bad it got, because he continued to do what is good, eventually that is what put him, allowed God to put him in that position to do the things that God had called him to do. And I would say that the entirety of this chapter is in many ways saying that how we are to conduct ourselves is exactly like Joseph. That we are to be in submission, not for the sake of making morally righteous the oppressors, whether those oppressors be people who just, random people who seek to do us wrong, whether those oppressors are slavers or people who are coercing us, or whether it's the governing authorities, whether it's the emperor himself. That, again, what it says immediately after the pat- verse 13 and 14 about submitting to these authorities, it says, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Well, who are the foolish people that we're silencing here? I would say that in this context, there's really no one else to point to other than the human authorities. Or those who do, and the human authorities are wrapped up in this context of people who are doing wrong to you. So, what First Peter 2 is talking about is not a legitimization of state coercion or the institution of monopoly governance. It is, again, an example of how when people persecute us, no matter what form that takes, we're called to respond in love and to do good. And it is by doing good that we overcome evil. That is God's will for us. And so what does it mean to honor then? Get back to this subject of honoring. Well, we're called to honor your father and mother. What if you're, you know, older and you realize that your father and mother are engaged in sin. Let's say like grave sin. Let's say you find out that like your, one of your parents is committing adultery or one of your parents is engaged in some kind of fraud or thievery or you, or even think of like the worst case scenario, you find out like one of your parents has committed murder or attempted murder or something like that. Well, do you honor your father and mother by just you like well good job <laughs> like do you just overlook the bad that they've done if they ask you to help them with covering it up if they ask you to participate in the evil if they're doing the evil towards you or towards like a sibling or a family member are you supposed to do nothing honor does not mean condoning sin or condoning evil i would say that if your father or mother are doing any of those things I just cited as an example, the best way you can honor them is to do what is within your power to stop the evil that they're doing or to confront them about it and to try to bring them to repentance and to bring justice and restoration, if possible, to that situation. But it's not to do nothing. It's not to blindly follow Even Joseph had his lines, right? Like he didn't go along with Potiphar's wife when she was trying to seduce him. 
There are lines in the sand you draw. You know, if someone asks you to do something and it's just, again, like Jesus said, if someone asks you to walk a mile with them, walk a second mile, you should do that. Well, if someone puts a knife in your hand and says, go kill this person, you're not obligated to do that. <laughs> and you're not dishonoring them by doing that. And I would say we're called to honor everyone. We're told to honor those in authority. Well, I would say that the best way I can honor the people in authority here, like in my country, in America, I mean, first of all, is to pray for them, to pray for them to come to know Christ, to pray for them to repent, to realize that they're involved in an institution that initiates violence and coercion that is on so many levels perpetuating evil, whether it's through taxation and the seizure of people's property or destroying people's wealth through the printing of currency and inflation, whether it's through the different fraudulent acts that our government has done or going insolvent on its debts or locking people in cages for just the ownership of different substances that maybe aren't good for them, but they haven't done anything violent. Should they be locked up in cages for that? For people living in Yemen who have been the victim of just years and years of violence at the hand of the American-backed Saudis, or the people in Ukraine who are the victim of this proxy war that America wants to fight with Russia. There are so many examples of the governing authorities in my country doing evil. Now, when they come to me and say, it's time for me to pay my taxes, I will submit to that in a similar way that I might submit to a mugger on the street or submit to, as it says here, to submit household slaves, submit to your masters. So I submit to that. But it doesn't mean I can't protest what they're doing. It doesn't mean I can't call attention to the fact that they are doing things that I think are both biblically and philosophically unjust. But if they called me to worship the state, if they called me to participate in the harm doing itself, I would have to stop. I would have to say, no, I will not participate in that. And so really, I think what we're to wrap this up in a bow, this is another passage that, again, when read, I think in its in, in context, in its entirety, we understand what's going on here, that Honor does not mean blind obedience. Honor does not mean taking what is evil and making it to be good. It doesn't mean participating in evil. Honor, honoring everyone, whether that's your slave master, whether that's the emperor, or anyone who persecutes you or does evil, it means that insofar as you can bear those things without participating in them, we bear them. Because that is how, again, that's how God silences the ignorance of foolish people is by doing good. And so th there is something here that pushes back against maybe some attitudes that you will see in libertarian circles. Like we are not to be a people as Christ followers who seek to be rebellious in the sense that we would take up arms to violently overthrow our oppressors. And it's not that you, you know, in libertarian, strict libertarian theory, that could be justified. But as Christians, I think we are called to resist evil, not through taking matters into our own hands, but through trusting God 
And this doesn't mean I'm a pacifist. I think if someone breaks into your home, someone threatens violence against your family, I think you have a duty to protect your family from people who are trying to directly cause bodily harm that way if it's a random person. But if it's someone who is subjugating you, especially if it's a giant institution of human authority such as the state, well, that's a calculation that has to be made. Some of this is a little bit of trusting God and understanding that you're going to live through different circumstances and there is no perfect way to know how to respond in each moment, except to try to live your life trusting God, being led by the Spirit, and being led by faith more than fear. So I hope that makes sense. I hope from reading this passage that we understand the complexity that goes into what honoring everyone is, what honoring the emperor is, and that we understand this passage is not actually in conflict with the idea of a polycentric legal order, or again, we're not against authority. We're not against, we're not abolishing authority. We're merely calling as the, the idea of biblical anarchy is looking at authority structures and holding them to the standards of what righteous authority in the Bible is described as. And righteous authority, those people, they're not subjugating you. They're not enslaving you. They're not threatening violence against you. They're servants. They are servants to their community, servants to their family, servants to their church, and servants to God. And that's what true leadership is. Now, in this world, we'll encounter people who distort that. And we are called to do good to them too. That doesn't mean that they aren't violating what God has commanded in terms of what is morally normative. And then I think we look at the end of the passage and it again says that we are called to this because Christ also suffered. So we're to follow in his footsteps. He did not commit sin. He did not bring any of the wrongs that were done to him upon himself. But when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, being God the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. See, we haven't been set free from the bondage of sin. We haven't been given a new life in Christ to then take on the sinful ways of the world. We're to live differently. We're to live for the kingdom of God. We are to live as, what does it say? As free men earlier. It says, live, submit as free people, but not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's servant. That is how we are to live. And we're to go out there and to be salt and light, to spread the gospel, to be telling everyone the good news that God has overcome the world, that evil is not all that there is, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. But if we respond to the evil that's done to us with evil in return, if we just meet fire with fire, it's not actually, you know, this. what's funny about this passage is, and I'm trying to be careful to not borrow too much from what he said, but I was planning this episode, and then my pastor literally gave a sermon, and half of it was 
on this passage and topic. And so, but it just kind of like stirred in me at this heart of like, okay, clearly this is something God wants me to talk about. And so it was good to hear my pastor's perspective on this. Well, and he used this analogy, like, you know, fighting with fire is kind of a silly expression. Like I know they kind of will do that for forest fires and stuff, but like other than weird situations like that, you don't really fight fire with fire, right? It's like that generally escalates the problem. We, we are called to be peacemakers. And so, again, I'm not a pacifist. I do believe in legitimate self-defense to stop people who are, if you witness someone trying to do something to harm someone, you shouldn't sit there and do nothing. I think you should try to stop it. I think if the only way to stop it is through deadly force, that's unfortunate. But sometimes those circumstances arise. But I think there is a distinction between stopping the random act of evil someone commits against someone else and what we do against like more systematic forms of oppression, what we do against authorities, right? Like clearly the state is a form of authority. It's a human institution. It's a distortion of what they're supposed to be doing. It's a distortion of the biblical norms and calls to bring civil justice to execute civil governance where to submit to them. I mean, cause sometimes they will be doing what's right. Like if a police officer stops a school shooter, cooperate with them. There are good things that God will do through the state, despite it being a fallen human institution that's founded upon violence and theft and coercion. But we can honor we, we can, all these things are not in conflict with one another. We can honor those in authority and we can also call for those in authority to repent and to turn back to what God is calling them to do and to stop doing all of the things that are against what God has called them to do. And I mean, why would it be any other way? Honor cannot mean to normalize people doing evil. So it, it's not really that complicated when we dive into it. We can honor the emperor, and we can also point out that the emperor is abusing his authority to do evil. So it requires discernment. It does require wisdom to know when, what authority you submit to and when you don't, because if they're asking you to do something that is clearly disobedience to God— those are clear examples of when you don't submit to human authority. Then you have these weird gray areas. Then you have people who persecute you and there's that line, right? Of, well, if it's insults, you can just turn the other cheek. But if they're trying to kidnap your children or burn your house down, don't sit there and do nothing. So there's complexity in understanding how to respond to different situations differently, of course we're not going to get it right. We're not going to get it perfect. I don't think that's what God is trying to tell us here. I think it's much more about what our attitude is. Is our attitude that we are going to trust in our efforts and that when someone wronged us, that we're going to take that into our own hands? No, we, we just like it says in Romans 12, vengeance belongs to God. And so defense, I think, is legitimate. But vengeance and punishment, those are things that belong to God. We're to restrain evil 
and the defense of innocent people. And that is what legitimate civil governance is supposed to be about. And we are to honor those who persecute us anyway, because that is primarily what Jesus's example was. And so if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to follow after Christ, then we should probably embody those attributes of his ministry and his example. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of it. As always, if you can leave a review, like, share, let me know if this was a good explanation, if you felt that this was valuable, if it brought you closer in your understanding of the word. If you have any disagreements with me, of course, if you have a different perspective, I always like to hear that as well. We're all approaching the texts and trying to read it and trying to learn and I never approach any biblical text and give a reading of it and act as if my reading of it and my interpretation is the exhaustive as to what the text can say or as if I can't possibly learn more or be shown that I might be overlooking something or be mistaken in something. But I think I did a good job in trying to approach that text and not run away from any of it. And again, let's live as good people. Let's live as that holy priesthood that God has called us to be, and let's go out there and love our neighbors and love our enemies, and let's honor everyone by pointing to the ways in which our Savior in Christ has called us to live. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be, for the next couple months, going to every other week here on the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, just because it's summertime, and with summertime comes a lot of just family plans and traveling and things like that. And so just with all that in mind, I'm probably going to up until about the end of August or September go to every other week for episode release schedule and then try to resume weekly once things have calmed down. Although I do also want to say that I, unless something changes between now and then, am planning on attending Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee, with the Libertarian Christian Institute. And let's see, that will be dates for Freedom Fest are, I think, July 12th through the 15th. So if you are on the fence about going and you want to go, be a chance for you to meet me and Doug and Norman, Carrie Baldwin, and I think we'll probably have a couple others joining us as well. So you can meet the LCI crew if you come out to Freedom Fest. And if you're already going, make sure you look for us while we're there. And that's all I have for you guys today. I will talk to you again in two weeks. Take care. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.